This is Van Jensen, and you're listening to the Green Lantern Corecast. This is Frankie Mateo from the Green Lantern Corecast with a special guest. We have Van Jensen, the uh, writer for the Green Lantern Corps right now. Uh, Van, tell, tell him how you're doing. Uh, all is uh, great on my end. I'm actually working on a, a script right now, so taking a break from that to chat with y'all. Ooh, nice. Anything uh, juicy that we can know from the near future, if you can uh, tell us? Um, the Durlins play a prominent part in this one. <laughs> oh, can't wait to see what happens with the Durlins. Yeah, some, some big things coming up. Oh, is, are, is there any, um, plans to actually, like, try to include what happened, you know, the Durlins from the Legion of Superheroes or, you know, stuff like that? Or is it just, it, or is this just going to be all, like, brand new, like, new stuff that you're just going off the top of your head with? Um, there's definitely building a little bit on what's come before, but kind of taking a new, a new twist on it and introducing some new history and kind of some new wrinkles. I mean, that's, that's sort of what, what the fun or the most fun part, I think, of writing superhero comics is, is, you know, there's such a great history to draw on, but then it's always a challenge to, you know, just tweak it just a little or, or adjust things just a little to, to kind of find a new compelling angle on it. All right. Nice. Um, now, before you started doing Green Lantern Corps, I know you, you did a uh, Pinocchio Vampire Slayer, which I've read. I've actually enjoyed that quite a bit. Um, like, how, how did it feel from jumping from there to, like, Green Lantern? Yeah, it was pretty intense um, because I had done four volumes of the Pinocchio books, but, you know, I, I had never done a single issue of a superhero comic before. I had never done a single issue comic so, I mean, they're just, they're completely different worlds. Like, it's, um, you know, there's some stuff that carries over, just like basic storytelling stuff, but there's so many ways in which superhero comics are just their own thing. And, and I was really thrown in that, like, normally you pick up a new job, you kind of have a, a decent amount of time to, to plan out and figure out what you're doing. And so not only was I super new to this entire world, but also I had way less time than, than what would be normal. So it was really just like, you know, like sink or swim, like let's so see you, what happens. So basically you're just throwing in uh, head first into the water. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And I mean, a, a huge amount of credit goes to uh, Bernard Chang, the awesome artist on the book, um, Robin Diddy, who... Uh, co-plotted with me through issue 27 
Um, and then our editors, I mean, really everyone at DC was great. And there was a huge, huge learning curve. And, and I'm still really like, you know, the response to the issues have been great. And I, I appreciate it so much. But like every single issue, I'm just learning so much. That, like I, I've barely even started to figure out what I'm doing in superhero comics. Hmm. Well, I'm glad, you know, you're able to play in the Green Lantern, you know, you know, playground, see, you know, brand new characters you're joining, adding new mythos, all the brand new characters that we're seeing in the core, the brand new cadets, we're, um, we're glad to see, you know, them fleshed out. Um, is there, is there any plans you're going to be using any of the old, the, the old guard that we had, that, you know, had, we had flying around, like, you know, like Vapsar and, you know, Saranik more, like, more often, is, are, are they going to make any, any major plays in the, in the near future? There's some really big stuff coming, especially for Sornek, kind of long-term. There's some really interesting stuff yes. uh, coming <laughs> up with her. And she's, I mean, she's a great character, like Bath, Isamot Cole, Iolande, like that whole, um, you know, the the early Dave Gibbons characters, they're all great. And especially, like, issue 27 in the annual is going to be really heavy on those characters. Um, there's a few, like, random lanterns like uh this uh this character oliversity that i found just like flipping through you know the secret files and origins and oliversity is a giant space snake <laughs> i was just like that's cool there's a giant space snake like sure i'm gonna throw him in there why not um so it's i mean that's like probably the biggest challenge of the the gig is that there are so many awesome characters and, you know, 20 pages a month, like, 20 pages disappears really, really quickly. And I feel like I'm guilty of trying to cram way too much into a single issue. So I have to, you know, it's like if, if I had my way, I would put every single one of those characters in there. But then Bernard would, you know, probably fly <laughs> to Atlanta to murder me in my sleep. That seems like a Bernard thing to do. <laughs> he's he seems nice, but he, he's got the killer inside him. I'm sure. Um, this you know this is a random question. Um, I know you say you know you gotta try to you know make uh, the old guard you know like you know Ismael Cole, um, that's our, try to put him into the books. Uh, is there any any plans right now for Saddam yet to ever come back? Yes. Ah. Wow. That's the last answer I expected to get. <laughs> Oh, there, there you have it, folks. We have a yes on Sodom. I think yet. that's the first thing we need to tweet out. Yes, Sodom yeah, <laughs> has plans. Yes, he Consider can. It done. It's done. It's out there. <laughs> All right. There, there have been, uh, been very, very recent Sodom yet conversations. Oh, nice. Is there, has there been any talk on removing the people's thick figure from his chest? <laughs> um... <laughs> You know, I don't ever want to uh, criticize stuff that's come before because it's all, <laughs> you know, it, it comes about for its own reason. Of course. Um, I, I can't say that I'm a particular fan of the stick figure <laughs> logo. So right. I guess I would say if he comes back, you know, there's, there's probably pretty safe odds that the stick figure will be... Uh, Will not be returning with them. Well, I just I look forward for uh, Sodom yet and non-stick figure symbol. 
if you know, in either case. I mean, just having Sadam Yak back would be would be cool. But it felt it felt like he was um little bit underutilized back when he was being uh you know first thrown out. He was he was using many stories, mind you, but during the last leg of his run, it was sort of um seemed like they were no one clearly knew where he was going. Yeah, I mean, I I think like before I took on the job, I was. I was one of those people who was really quick to be like, hey, where's so-and-so, where's so-and-so? And, And like, now, man, I just, I really get it, and I so uh, empathize with with previous writers because it's not not as if any writer sets out to, like, you know, such-and-such character, man, that character, like, I just don't care about them. Like, I'm going to put them in the background. Like, we're never going to see them. It's really... It's just it's so it's so tough to to include everything that you want to include on these characters because I mean man it's just like it's such a roster of amazing characters and you know it, it's by tra- by trying to like by trying to do justice to all of them you would end up doing justice to none of them so it's it's a challenge for sure. Understand? You could have a Greenland you could have a Greenland core book for like every single letter in the alphabet. Just fill up teams of those. Yeah, I mean, like, like it really, I literally, when I first started the gig, I was flipping through Secret Files and looking at, at the different lanterns and, like, you know, I was going to, like, circle the ones that I wanted to do something with. And I got done with it, and it's like, okay, I've marked all but, like, two of them. <laughs> okay, this is clearly not, not a realistic plan. <laughs> all right, so uh, let me move on to Brandon. He has a, a few ca- uh, questions for you. Brandon. Yeah, I guess I'll start with just following that up. How much lead time did you get before you dived into it? I think Justin said he had about uh, four months before the ball got rolling, and Rob had been on the book since December, and we didn't find out to March. So how long were you on before it, uh, things got intense? Man, things were intense from day one. Um <laughs> Just, you know, it was a very different situation the way that, that I came on and that there had been a writer and and that fell through. And so I was, you know, I was brought in as a replacement. And, you know, the, the editors actually, like, Rob and I have been friends for years, so that was kind of how, how I got in. But the editors had checked out the Pinocchio books and, and had been planning to give me a shot at doing, you know, like an inventory issue or a one-off or something like that. And then, you know, it just came up that, like, there was a pretty serious time crunch to get stuff done. So, you know, I, like, from the moment I was approved, I was working on on the script. And, um, I mean, let's just say the, the time that I had to work on the first issue, we would measure in weeks rather than months. Wow. So, so I guess obviously it's completely separate from what Joshua had planned. Yeah, um, I mean, I you know I checked out the stuff that he was doing and had planned, and it it really it worked out very well, very quickly to turn the focus on to um, John Stewart, which was something that that I wanted to do, that's something that DC wanted to do, and and that wasn't really anything at all that that I had seen of, of what Josh was doing. Um, and so, so we pretty quickly, you know, went another direction and, and a lot of it from the get go was building into lights out and sort of 
transitioning out of what had come before and then setting the stage of, of what was coming. Um, so, you know, now, like, in the time since then, I've been able to, to lay a lot more groundwork of, like, really, like, the next two years of, of what's going to go on in, in the book. That's very impressive. Uh, two years. That's, that makes me smile a lot. Um, here, here's the thing. There's, there's, four, there's a completely new creative team on the Lennon titles, four of you, and I guess we're so used to Jeff Johns having his fingerprints on all the Lennon titles. Is that the same case with with uh, Robert? I mean, because obviously he was your co-plot. I think you just said that it, the co-plotting stops at issue 27. So uh, yeah, as of twenty eight, I'm I'm playing solo. Cool, cool. So is I guess I'm asking. Let's say post lights out. If if you or Charles or Justin had an idea for the next big crossover, let's say post whatever you guys have planned for the Derlands, uh, does that just get shipped right to the beginning, or is this essentially Rob's ship and we're we're all riding this, the waves, I guess. It's terrible. Um, no, I mean, Rob is... Rob and I, like... I mean, it's hard for me to say enough about the guy. Like, he's incredibly smart. He's a great writer. He's a really good friend. And, um, and he's also just, like... He does not want it to be that, like... You know, it's, it's just all about Rob and that we're all supporting him so he he's very big on like you know this this event is really going to be about maybe like starting in green lantern and ending in green lantern but like the next event is going to be a little bit more about core and like the next thing is about red lanterns or or about new guardians and i mean you can look at like the um the two for one issue that they're doing with green lantern and red lanterns that's coming out the flip book, right, right. The flip book. And I mean, that, like, that was literally Rob's idea where it was like, Charles had the story idea, I think, but then, you know, Rob was like, let's sacrifice a little bit with sales to build up Red Lanterns because, like, Red Lanterns is, is awesome right now and Charles is just completely kicking ass with that book. Um, and we, you know, this is a way that we can do that. And then it was, it was like Rob, like Rob didn't, didn't take charge of the story or like lead the story, but he was totally a champion for Charles book because, you know, he had, like he knows and he loves what Charles is doing. So, I mean, Rob definitely is like, he's the A1 writer because it's the flagship title. But I mean, he's just like, he's not the kind of guy that like needs everyone to be falling in line after him. Good to know. Uh, for your Very safety. good to know. <laughs> um, I guess we should talk about Bernard Chang. I'm, I feel like artists usually get to end the interviews. Um, I don't want to ask what he brings to the book. I've seen his art. It's it's great, great stuff. Um, how much are your scripts? Now, I mean, what are we, five issues into your run, or six, rather? How much do you tailor your scripts to what you know he can do now, and trying to fulfill him as an artist creatively. Yeah, you know, Bernard and I just, and we actually, we had a really long conversation the other night, and um, 
we kind of talked about how like we've been so under the gun from the get-go that we haven't been able to have sort of the the close collaboration in terms of like spending a lot of time talking about issues way ahead of time and like talk, like really like tearing apart scripts and seeing you know how we can kind of retailor it right. um, which is something that I like to do with artists because I mean artists you know they're artists like they know way more about visual storytelling than I do so they can they can bring a lot to the table that, that I'm not going to be able to to know right off off the bat um, so I think I, I really felt like I haven't I haven't helped Bernard out as much as I could thus far and I'm you know part of that conversation was like okay you know what what can I be doing better because like I said I still have so much to learn and Bernard you know he's he's really like a living legend in comics and just such a phenomenal artist and there's so much that I can learn from him and even just like really basic things um, you know I'm sure to him it's like assume knowledge but to me because I'm so new you know he's having to explain this stuff to me but um man he I mean he's so story focused and just so he's just so smart always um I, I think I met him at, at Comic Con a couple of years ago and I, I did something bad I kind of snuck in line like cheated my way to to meet him and I think he caught me in the act, and he was just still the nicest guy. So it's just it's nice to know that he doesn't care about me cutting in line. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's he's a really really nice guy and amazing artist. And I I mean I couldn't have been luckier. My first book working with him. Is there a is there anything in particular that he asked for? I know guys like Cameron Stewart are like always demanding that horses never be in the script like i'll turn down anything with a horse because i can't draw a horse feet like is there anything bernard says hey you know it'd be really cool if sornik did this and sornik did that is he like heavy into something he hasn't really given me any specific stuff like that specific um you know a lot of a lot of the stuff that we talked about is just how um how dense the book has been, which has definitely been been a problem, and and it's tough. Like especially, that there's been a time crunch with the art that I've then also been like. I mean, like you know, you look at issue twenty four, um, which is the the fight against Relic, of course, on on Oa when Mo or when Oa was destroyed, and um, I mean that issue just had such an insane level of detail in it yeah. and you know I like I knew that writing it but then it wasn't until I think it was at like Baltimore Comic Con where he he was working on it amid the show and was showing me some of his panels and I actually got to you know watch him draw some of it and it was just like it really became very real for me like oh like if I keep doing this to you like like you're physically gonna collapse just out of the hand of it, um, so it's it's definitely about me like figuring out the just kind of the reality of like what it's possible to draw in a month. Well, take it easy on them. I mean, sometimes a guy can't draw the inside of the cave 
that goes on forever and ever and then switch to I don't know, a, dis- a destroyed planet and at the next page. It, it's tough on a guy. Yeah, I mean, he and he really, like, to his credit, I mean, like, you look at issue 24 and, and it's stunning. I mean, just stunning, stunning work that he does. Alright, um, I guess this is my loosen up question. Uh, coffee or vodka? <laughs> uh, coffee in the morning. Uh, right, so actually, more of a scotch drinker. Scotch, okay. Um, I, I'm very happy you said that. We need more whiskey drinkers. Yeah, if uh, if you ever get a chance, I recommend Isle of Sky. Isle of Sky. Yeah. Hmm. Right, look nice, not not too peaty. I'm gonna I'm I'm look into that. I know uh, McAllen Ten Tenure. Yeah. Very smooth. I would recommend that as well for uh, for Scotch. So. Did you, uh, Lantern writers at the Baltimore Comic Con, get together and uh, was it was it just a get together or did you take advantage of the fact that you all just happened to be at the same con? You mean in terms of like story planning? Yeah. We didn't. We didn't do a terrible amount <laughs> of writing or planning at Baltimore. We did some in New York, and we did some in Charlotte. Uh, we did quite a bit in New York, a big thing that's going to be coming up quite a while from now, like a year from now. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. Like, Baltimore was actually a lot more low-key. It was kind of nice. Um because I think I think it was mostly like where it fell in the schedule. We talked about. Have you guys been to Baltimore? I'm not it's, yet. Okay, so city. yeah. So there's like the Inner Harbor area, which is where the convention is, and out on the water they have these like they're little like pedal boats that you can rent, but they look like dragons. So we kept joking like we need to get a dragon boat and like go out on the the harbor in a dragon boat and plan out some Green Lantern stuff. <laughs> They'll never find spoilers here. Yeah, bleeding cool doesn't make it out on on the dragon <laughs> boats. Um, speaking of the internet, uh, how do you deal with? I think I think we talked about this a tiny bit in the email, but uh, how do you deal with uh, internet reaction reviews? Um, ben here is the guy tearing apart your book every month. Uh, so how do you deal with? reading those reviews, do you ignore them? Do you dive in, depress yourself? How does it work? <laughs> Don't throw Ben under the bus, you jerk. <laughs> um, I, I read some stuff. It's kind of, it, honestly, mostly it depends on like how busy I am because I'm still, you know, I work a full-time job and do the comic stuff, so it, it's kind of tough to keep tabs on everything. But I, I check out the message board some, um, and other message boards a little every once in a while um, because I do I think especially Green Lantern fans are just really I mean they're passionate but they're also really smart and they, they, just, they know their stuff super well and they know the characters super well so I think like if you start to go kind of off kilter with the character that they're a pretty good bellwether for that um, I don't you know, I think you can definitely, like, pay way too much attention and lose your bearings on it because, 
like everyone has their own opinion and it's not as if every fan agrees with every other fan, but it is useful to check in, you know, from time to time. Well, what about with Pinocchio? I mean, it was your first time really going into a graphic novel and I think with with the indie book, you kind of need that word of mouth. You need that praise right from the jump. Uh, so, I mean, was it a different situation then, knowing that you didn't have, you know, another, you know, big two book to fall back on? Oh, yeah, yeah, with Pinocchio, I mean, I spent, like, I, I wrote the script for the first book in, like, a month, and I think I spent six, yeah, about six months marketing it, and a lot of it was exactly that, like, just trying to get people, like, <laughs> begging people to, to talk about it or take an interest in it, and, um... Yeah, I mean, that, it was a weird, it is, it's it's kind of a strange thing because it's not, not everyone who, like, you do your job and then there are people on online who are, like, waiting to tear you apart <laughs> for what you do. Um, so, I mean, I guess, I guess that I've worked in, in publishing for long enough and I've dealt with feedback for long enough that I think, it's not that I have like thick skin. It's just that I know how to process it, and it doesn't. It's not like I see a bad review of something and I like have to go like sit in the dark for a day, like <laughs> Smith's record or something like that. Um, but you know, it does. Like I think the hardest thing for me is if I see a, a criticism of something that I that I agree with, because it's like. You know, I, I always, I'm like my worst critic. Like, I tear apart everything that I do. And if I see something where someone else figured out something I should have done better and I didn't figure out that I should have done it better, I'm like, ah, I should have, I should have seen that fault. So what is it? All right, we got to get into the, the serious questions now. I'm sorry. Um, oh, that, that was the light stuff. All right. Yeah. Um, Sorting not to is like my second favorite character next to Carol Ferris. So, I asked Robert to define Carol. I'm asking you, since you said she got some big stuff coming up, who is Soren Ignatu to you? I feel like Sornik is a really interesting character in that there's this, this sort of very clear divide between her, or in the middle of her psyche, sort of, in the, in, in one sense, she's very hopeful, but then in another sense, she's, she's in a very dark place, and it's like her entire existence is divided between these two things, because she, you know, on the one hand, she's a doctor, and so she lives to help other people and to treat other people, and to always see that, like, you know, yeah, someone might be gravely injured, but with the right treatment, I can heal them and make them better. So there's that component of her personality. But then there's this other component of her personality that especially you saw with, you know, her belief that her ring was cursed. And now, you know, she lost her home planet. And then she lost her second home planet, Oa, and... You know, after Lights Out, she, along with the other Lanterns, are under the impression that Kyle is dead. So it's like she, well, and of course, you know, that Sinestro is her father, and who knows what's going on with Sinestro. 
So there's just this deep well of tragedy that's inside her, and she kind of has this sense of, of hopelessness that from time to time overwhelms her and overwhelms her judgment. And to me, I think it's, you know, she's like constantly battling within herself to see like which of those sides is going to win out. You think that's that makes her similar to John? I mean, John's gone through tragic event after tragic event, and while he has recently, he has someone to put his shoulder on at night, uh, Sornik kind of ended that with Kyle. So uh, what does she do to maintain from going into that dark side of her psyche? Yeah, there's going to be, it's going to be addressed starting in uh, Green Lantern Corps 28. Um, because, yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's a very valid question, like, how how can you possibly respond when when something that extreme happens? And you know, with John, we really saw like I mean, essentially in real time, a couple of decades pass. And in comics, I mean, comics time doesn't work the same, but a significant amount of time in comics, where all he did was fixate on the bad stuff that happened in the past. And, you know, for Sornik, it's definitely too soon for her to, to just, like, get over all this stuff. With John, I think it, you know, we're at a valid point for him to sort of move on and start looking forward. But it is a good comparison. And I, oddly, I think Salak, or Salak, I don't know how you say it, uh, I think he kind of fit into that position as well when he lost his role in the core and guardians were, you know, essentially the only people he really interacted with. Like, and now we saw some of that in the first couple of issues of your run. And now I'm starting to worry about you. Is everybody depressed in the core? <laughs> I mean, there's been a lot of bad stuff going on, right? But I can tell you this, Druck isn't depressed, you know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Sure. Right. Right. Is loving it. Just wants to be a badass, right? <laughs> um, and I think, like, I think John is not depressed. Um, so there's, you know, there's definitely some characters who are who are responding well to everything. But yeah, I mean, times times are for sure pretty pretty bleak. Um, and I say Solik, um, so you know, to each their own. Um, anyway, I normally say Paul Manning. But yeah. <laughs> so so he and uh, and Sornik actually, you know, we saw them connecting in uh, in issue twenty one. So we're going to see them reconnecting a bit and and gain a sense of where they both are. And you know, Solik's another character that's really compelling. And kind of the way I framed him is like he was a very like he saw the world in in black and white terms always. Because he was the rule keeper, and like if you keep the rules, it's either like something is is against the rules or it's not against the rules. And he was, you know, he was the guardian's guy. And it's like when you when you're someone who sees the world in absolute terms, and then all of a sudden, it's like no way. Like what what I thought was right was actually wrong. It like makes you wonder. Like is the entire world just shades of gray? And and like how how do you handle that kind of revelation? So he definitely is still 
kind of struggling to figure out what his place is in the core, and and that's going to continue to play out over the you know several months ahead at least. Yeah. Good to know. Cool. So, um, uh, to, to go away from a little bit from uh, from Ben, I do want to bring up something with John. Seeing that you know, again, you got you know you gained the title rapidly. You gained the title after you know the entire big big uh, uh, event Chris that Fluffle. yeah, Fluffle and the giant event that you know Jeff Johnson finished doing, and uh, you know where he laid out the groundwork for the rest of the Green Lantern Corps. You know, at the end his last farewell issue, you know, spanning the next twenty years of their lives, John becomes a you know a senator or whatever, and marries Fatality. Um, I want to know how how did you feel about the John Fatality uh, you know union? Um, I really like it in one sense, in that, um, like I said, like John had been so fixated on the past and on all of this old tragedy, right? And then he's with a Star Sapphire, and like Star Sapphires have this kind of beautifully simple way of viewing the world, where it's just you know it's like with enough love anything can persevere and like why fixate yeah we're not brainwashing anything can be persevering yeah yeah Uh, yeah, that's uh that's something that i'm not unaware of (laughs) um so there are some very interesting things coming up for that relationship Ooh, i'm I'm tingling with anticipation now i want to see where this is going yeah, give me uh, give me like six months, and oh. and you'll have some very very clear uh, answers and resolutions to things. Nice, nice. Because you know, you know, again, I'm I'm an old Green Lantern fan. You know, starting from way when Cal Rayner was, you know, the, my primary Green Lantern, and um, you know, I've knew I've known Fatality for like years now, for like decades now. And she was originally an assassin, and originally like, and John Stewart was in a wheelchair. I have no idea how much of that is still canon, but um. It's it's real you know it's a real weird you know change to see from from point A to point B and uh, oh yeah I remember when she was trying to stab you with a spear and now she's making out with you <laughs> it, still, it still seems, sta- seems still kind of strange doesn't it <laughs> yeah it is kind of strange so I'm I'm glad um I'm glad uh, you know you are well aware of you know the old the old stuff that was going on back then um, so yeah, I'm I'm, an, I'm eagerly anticipating to see what's going to go down. Um, uh, let, me, let me move on to Colton. Colton, you have some questions for him. Uh, yeah, uh, we, you got on a little bit on the fact that, uh, let's just say that the Green of the Corn has seen uh, brighter days, but I, I'm starting to wonder, is, 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 is there a brightness beyond this dark night? Because it's just getting depressing for these guys. Don't they get like a beach vacation or something, or like a week off, a holiday, something? Because it, it's just getting sad. Yeah, what happened to the Pleasure Planet that Guy Gardner got kicked out of? Yeah, that's right. Uh, Robot cat girls. <laughs> Robot cat girls. That was well. We are getting Bullfunga back, so you know we'll be seeing some of some of him at least. Um, no, I mean I think that's a great point, and I think it's it's definitely been pretty dire for a long time, and it's not something that that we haven't considered, and and we definitely. Um, I think what we're looking at and, and what we're seeing is the core has really lost its way in terms of like, what's the mission of the core? What are they trying to accomplish? Because like I said with Salak, that, you know, the guardians were the guiding vision and you realize that your guiding vision is completely corrupt. 
So, like, what do you do? Do you break up the core? Do you keep it together? If you keep it together, what's the vision for it? And, and it just so happens that there are all of these different people out there in the universe that see that the core is really weak. And, you know, a lot of different races that have been very unhappy with the core for a long time. And it's like, hmm, maybe this is a pretty prime opportunity to come after them. Like the coon? Like the coon the Durlins, like uh, Nolange and her clan. Um, so that's, you know, things are going to get a little bit darker. But, um, you know, there's definitely definitely some brightness if you if you squint really hard. You know, on the, you mentioned kind of the weirder lanterns, like uh, the, giant, the giant snake lantern, which, by the way, please bring that in. That does sound awesome. Yeah, uh, 227. Is it like is it like supposed to be like that uh like the world serpent that circles around the earth in Norse mythology because something like that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's actually just like this giant snake that can control his venom, so he can like bite people and make them make like different things happen based on what he does with his venom. You see, you see, I, I'd be happy with a book that's just entirely the weirder lanterns, like the non non traditional humanoid lanterns. Because like, if if you can bring more of those guys in, kind of like maybe rotate them in and out. I'd love it. Like, whatever happened to the Green Lantern that was a sentient mathematical equation? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, like, literally what my plan is in writing the book is, like, every so often, you know, just, it's like, okay, like, there needs to be some random Green Like, there's basically, like, there's an, an ongoing roster for the book, right? Of course. You have, you have the main characters. And then I just have this, like, this one sort of open roster spot for, like, we're just going to pull in some random dude. <laughs> like some, you know, it's like this month it's going to be giant space snake. And, you know, next month it might be the mathematical equation. Or like the month after that it might be, uh, gosh, the bell thinking. lantern. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like the, the giant mushroom. Or, I mean, there's so many of them. Like, and and don't, don't be afraid to get creative. Bring in new races. Sky's the limit. Imagination is what I say. Yeah, I actually just uh, trying to think. I just brought in a new one the other day that I like. I wanted to use an existing one, and I did a lot of searching beyond because there's there's a bunch of old lanterns that don't show up in the secret files, and like you know, you really have to dig to find. You have to go. Stuff. You have to go back to the old Who's Who books. Yeah, exactly. And um, and there was this one, this one lantern called Bluebert Cobb. <laughs> and I was just like, like he's from the right sector, and and he had like some of the right details of what I was looking for. So I like I told the editors I was like, this is the lantern that that I'm gonna use. Like he hasn't showed up in like 30 years, but like Bluebird Cobb is coming back. And they're like, it's really impressive that you found that this guy exists, <laughs> but like, there's no way that you're including a lantern called Bluebird Cobb. Just create something new. You have to run that. It's fine. Do you have to run that by Jeff? What's that? Do you have to run that by Jeff if there's, like, new lanterns from the past? No. Um, I mean, I don't know, it, like, at what level stuff gets run by him. I mean, I've, I've met Jeff and talked to him, and, and you know, he's, he's great, but he, um, he's really, as far as I know, is, has let us do our own thing. Ben, by the way, this is Andrew. He is the uh, the host of the Green Lantern Forums. 
Um, uh, he'll he'll be asking you a few questions right after right after Colton. Okay, cool. Hey, Andrew. Hey, nice to meet you, man. You too. Big, big fan of your work. Thank you. Hey, right, Colton. Yeah, you got any more? Uh, with the uh, with the events that had uh, recently happened involving the entities, uh, do you think we might ever see like either the entities or just Parallax himself down the line? Because I always felt they were really wasted. I mean, you have these entities that can enhance people's powers and like just basically make them like living batteries. They can, don't have to charge up and fight all they want. But it always seemed like after their initial introduction, they just got shunted off to the side and never used. Well, um, then. <laughs> well. I would say that it's seeming likely we will figure out what happened to the entities. One day. Um, not too distant. I think uh, that might even happen before we see the, uh, the core enjoy a beach vacation. <laughs> it's a long rough road for these guys. Yeah, the, the entities have some, I mean, something big, something weird happened to them, something that's never happened to the entities before, and, and we're going to see what the fallout is from that. Definitely looking forward to that. And they got to do something with Parallax. I mean, they didn't keep him out solo for, I would guess, no reason. No, there was a reason for it, and it, it plays into what is, uh, is next to come. Sounds exciting. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I hate being all vague, you know, but obviously you can't spoil stuff. But, but yeah, I mean, it's it's really hard to overstate just how much time we spend. I mean, I like, you know, Rob and I, our wives are, are just sick of both of us because it's like constantly that we're on the phone or texting or emailing each other. To, I mean, some of it's like big planning and some of it's just like super minor detail of like, Oh, wait, so you had Kilowog throw the chair out of the command center in your issue, so, okay, so there, we shouldn't have a chair in my issue in that one panel. You know, it's like nitty-gritty detail, but it's got to be right. Well, if not the entities, uh, what about the core? I mean, we've obviously had the uh, anti-core message going around in Green Lantern Corps, so uh, are we going to see some more uh, interactions between the Green Lantern Corps and the other cores? Not in the immediate future. Um, we're going to see some interaction, of course, with um, with Hal and the Red Lanterns in uh, in the flipbook. Um, but there's nothing there's nothing looming really immediately. There's there's some pretty major other threats that the core is going to have to deal with, and and their focus is going to be entirely soaked up by that. Probably not the best time to declare war if all your enemies are coming out at the same time. Yeah, well, you know, not everyone thinks Hal's the greatest leader. Not even Hal. Yeah, it's... I, I don't know, I've been really enjoying seeing that character develop and seeing him struggle in the new role. Well, it was fun to ask you some questions, but I think I've uh, run my stint. All right. All right, so, again, uh, Andrew, the host of the Green Lantern Forums, what question do you have for Van? Oh, real quick, uh, just some geeky ones, I, I suppose. Uh, will we ever see the Green Lantern corpse? Um, let's see. If you will be willing to wait until February, yeah, uh, then yes, you will wow. see. Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. I've been waiting for years for that. That's that's very cool. 
I mean, wow. it's, you know, the Durlins, the Durlins are the big threat. It kind of stands the reason that, that we would want to figure out what's going on with Von Daggle. Broken daggers, though. Absolutely, yes. I can't believe Oh my god! Right, right. <laughs> I'd almost forgotten about them. They at one point were supposed to like have their own book, and then they just vanished, which is appropriate yeah, for like I, stealth spies. But you know, I think they felt it was redundant with because uh, the Green Lanterns killed. But I, I never quite thought that was redundant because it's not quite the same. They have like plausible deniability, but that's that's awesome. They're coming back. That's great. All right, next question: uh, If you if the books weren't the way they are, and you could have your pick of the litter between like you know the guys or the Johns or the Kyles or the Hals, who would you who would you have on the team in an ideal world? Would you want Guy in there? Would you want Kyle, or would you want this to be led by Hal? How would you, how would you like that to be arrayed if you had the choice? Well, I think the big thing, and again, it comes back to to just sort of realizing the constraints of twenty pages a month, is I definitely would not want another, you know, main Earth Lantern on the book because. It's like if you have two main characters, just inevitably, you know, you can't manage them. And so one of them ends up sort of being relegated. Um, I, I mean, let's... I, so I really enjoy writing Hal, and I haven't had a chance to write Guy or Kyle. Um, Guy was always my least favorite of the Earth Lanterns, and I, I really didn't have that much interest in him <laughs> as a character. And I have to say, like... Charles and his work on Red Lanterns, it's like the most enjoyable Guy Gardner I've ever seen. And By far, yeah, easily. Yeah, it's, just, it's, so, it's so good, and I was like, there's no way that I'll ever enjoy Guy Gardner, and then I read the first issue, and I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. So, I mean, so, so let's say tomorrow they, they cancel Red Lanterns, and they go, hey, Van Jensen, you gotta, t- you gotta take Guy Gardner on the book. Would you be, would you be pleased or, or not so pleased about that? Man, I tell you, anything that that stops Charles from doing what he's doing with Guy Gardner is a crime. I mean, just um, just in terms of just in terms of Guy having to go to Green Lantern Corps. Nah, I I really I love I love things as they are, and you know, it's I John is is my favorite of those guys, so I'm really content to have him, and you know, things obviously change, but. For the foreseeable future, I think we're all pretty pretty happy with things as they are. Can you can you reassure us that Charles isn't leaving Red Lanterns? He seems to pick up a new book every week. Man, either he has like a twin that also does work, or he's a robot because he's also he's a lawyer. So he's like, oh my god. You know, he's still <laughs> working. He has his own law practice. The real Superman. Yeah, he's just, he's nuts. He's, but he's the head of his own practice, too? Not yeah. just a lawyer with a degree? Oh, that's, yeah, no, I mean, he's a practicing attorney. And um, but he's really, like, the whole the whole crew of writers, we just, we all get along great. Like, Justin is, is just so much fun and such a creative mind. And, and like I said, like, Rob and I have been such good friends for so long, so... Whenever we get together, whether you know it's on the phone or at a convention or something, it's just it's really we have a good group, and we you know I feel like we we all push each other to to be a lot better, be a lot more creative. That's fantastic. Uh, last last thing for me, and it's really more of a comment. Uh, 
just want to say that I'm a really big fan of what you're doing with uh, Fatality and John. I think that's awesome. I've been I've been pretty much begging and pleading to see that for like years, and it's it seems like it's been teased different points, but never quite fully realized. And it seems like you're doing some good things with it. And I, it's it's like the whole like in the Star Wars expanded universe, it's like the Mary Jade Luke Skywalker thing, where it's like yeah. He, she was trying to kill him, and he did some bad things to her, and yet they're, they fall in love. And it, 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 it makes really interesting storytelling, and I think you're doing a lot with that. And, uh, is, do you think that's going to, is that going to be more realized as time goes on, or is it going to be, because, I mean, John has a pretty rough history with, uh, with ladies. I mean, in the past, like Kat Matui and uh, the Dark Star Lady, I can't think of her name, with the blue skin, and it, it, it all goes south. And I, I would like to think that finally he's going to get something that's, that's as interesting as it is rewarding for him, and it's gonna it's gonna go somewhere. Can you say anything about that? <laughs> um, we talked about that a little bit earlier too. So uh, okay. there's there's like there's a very like from the moment that I started, there's a a long form story of John and Fatality that I wanted to tell, and um, and we're we're approaching about halfway of that initial story with them. That's not to say that like their relationship is going to end, but just like this first, this first stage of their relationship is, you know, is, is going to, things are going to change. We'll see. Uh Change. Let's, let's Uh, be friends. Let's be friends. (laughs) (laughs) There's, I mean, it's just like, it's a really interesting dynamic. And I think, um, I think it's something that I mean I I feel like relationships are interesting. I don't know. I mean I'm I'm married and I've been married for um, gosh working on eight years and um, and I don't know. Like I I think relationships are just very compelling and even when they're not you know amid universal combat. So to have a relationship in that kind of setting, I mean it's it's got to have some pretty crazy ups and downs. And so we haven't, you know, it's always tough to work as much character um, into those stories as you want, but but there's a lot of focus on the two of them coming up. That's, that's good. I look forward to it. Well, Matt, that's one, one thing I wanted, uh, wanted to ask you. You mentioned that, you know, John Stewart's one of your favorite uh, Green Lanterns. I want to know, how, how did you... Um, you know, what was your first attraction to him? Like, what was your first iteration that made you made you like the character? Um, you know, I I had kind of forgotten about this, but um, I wasn't a big Green Lantern reader growing up. But um, I had so recently um, I went back home, which I grew up in Western Nebraska. And I went back home and I was moving some furniture from there to Atlanta where I live. And my mom had all these boxes of my old comics. And it was like, all right, like, this is the point. Like, <laughs> you're taking your damn comics. Um, so I, I moved all those back and I was looking through them. And I didn't even remember that I had it, but I had not all of them, but several of the issues of Green Lantern Mosaic. Ooh. And, and so that was my first real exposure to John Stewart, and um, and then you know some of the subsequent comics, and then you know the the Justice League uh, animated series, um, 
and then I've I've gone back and and I think by this point I've pretty much read every issue of any comic that he's ever appeared in. Do you do you think there's a way to salvage Mosaic? Do you think that could still have a place in continuity? That, particularly that he was a guardian of a sort for a limited period of time. I mean, I think it's something that that we view as as existing in continuity in the past, but it's not. You know, it, it, I don't know that there's anything where it really makes sense in the future to, to kind of like bring it back or readdress it other than just being a part of John's personal history. It is a, it's a fascinating concept for sure. You just got to shove another ring down his throat. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's yeah, it's, I, you know, one of the things I really enjoyed about it, I reread it and it's so like, just like willfully pretentious. And it even like, like he, there was these letters in the backs of the issues and he was like very direct. He would call himself out as like, I know this is like the most pretentious thing ever, but you know, I'm having fun writing it. <laughs> yeah, There's I think I remember those. <laughs> he's like willing to admit it. Um, there, there's one, that, yeah, how much of John Stewart's like, you know, um, kind of do you believe is still in tight? Is the whole, you know, him failing Zanshi the way happened the way it happened? Like, yeah, I, I mean, I for, for the most part, like, obviously, it gets really tricky with some of that stuff, and there's some, there's, I'll put it this way, there's questions that, because I'm, I'm a very logic-based writer, mm -hmm. um, and I want things to make sense always, and so there's some questions that I've brought up as, like, okay, well, this thing is shown to be in continuity, but then with the change, it doesn't seem like it totally makes sense with this. And it's kind of like, there are some questions we just don't ask, or like some, you know, there's like some rabbit holes that you don't, <laughs> you don't want to go down. Um, but no, I mean, for, for the most part, like the big character beats in John's history is, is all still in continuity. All right. So, so basically a dude painted a bomb yellow and John was like, oh man, can't stop this and he explodes. Uh, I'm glad that's in the continuity. <laughs> well, it's, it's still, it still works. I mean, it's still pre-awareness of the yellow impurity, so it should still work. I know, I just, I'm, I'm sorry. I just, I always love that panel, seeing it, seeing it back when, um, like reading it, and you see John's in all his arrogance, go like, I got this. There's a giant bomb. I could take care of it. Don't worry about this. I got this, John. To the March Manhunter. Throws him off planet, goes to the bomb, sees a small dude standing to a gigantic bomb with a paintbrush. Go like, I painted it yellow. And he's like, oh no, and it explodes. And uh, I was like, oh. Well, I think Vril, I think Vril, I think Vril yeah, Docks yeah. did the same thing with his fleet one time. I mean, it's not, it's happened before. You, you'd think, you'd think you could ring him up some, uh, like, saran wrap or something from the nearby store and just use it to grab it. A plastic <laughs> bag or something. Uh. Trash container, scoop it in. It's no one ever thought of this, did they? That's a beautiful panel. Just seeing the, the expression on this. Anyway, let me let me move on to Ben. Ben, uh, you have a few questions for uh, for Ben. Hello, Mr. Ben Jensen. Uh, don't even know how to say that properly. Um, no, you got it. That's perfect. Uh, I wanted to ask you first um, about Zero Year. Um, considering that right after one crossover in Lights Out, you immediately had to uh, go into tying in with Scott Snyder's sort of Zero Year epic. Um, how did that come about? I, I'm per I think 
from what I read right that Snyder said that DC probably approached y'all first? Um, and or where did that story idea for John Stewart in that zero year tie-in come from? Yeah, it um, it actually arose really organically in that um, the the Batman group editors, you know, they told the other group editors at DC that here's this thing that we're planning. It's six years in the past, and it wasn't like, hey, we need to you know create X number of tie-ins to this. It was just floated as like. This is this thing we're doing. If there's a story that you've been wanting to tell but you haven't been able to that, you know, in a reasonable way fits into this, you know, let's let's see if maybe we can do some interesting things. So I think the initial conversation started um, with Rob and, and the Green Lantern editors, and then I got brought in pretty quickly. I think Rob was, like, talking to them about something else and that, that came up, and they talked a little, and then, you know, Rob and I started talking pretty immediately after that. Um, so it, it really was just a, you know, this thought of, like, John Stewart never got his number zero issue, and so there's a lot of his background that, that we haven't seen, especially in the New 52, and since we're focusing so much on him and where his character is going, this is this really great opportunity to to shed a whole bunch of light on his past. Cool. Um, uh, obviously, you have a huge ensemble cast. This book isn't just about John Stewart, but also the previous core members that people beloved in the previous run, but also the new characters you introduced when you started this run, um, and also the romance with fate, with fatality. Uh, how do you find yourself balancing, considering you've said 20 pages goes really fastly, um, what's the process of you balancing, okay, I want this per this particular group of people to have this amount of pages and then this and this, and of course the secret plot of the Thurlins and the Coons and all that stuff? Yeah, it's it's honestly just it's a lot of work. Um, it's it's a matter of figuring out like what's the what's the stuff that can be cut the easiest because I mean I could easily fit like 80 pages a month worth of content just with the stuff that I have. So it's all about like, you know, finding really efficient ways to tell stories and finding like what's a sensible way to put, you know, a few different characters in a scene together so that it's like, like you want to have a scene where there's, there's essentially like three plots going on where there's like, there's the overt thing that the characters are doing. And then there's, like a smaller conversation or a sub-conversation that advances one of the secondary plots, and then, like, there's a third level of the conversation that advances the character beats. So, you know, you might have, like, one page of an issue where, you know, really there's, like, there's, like, almost four different, you know, three or four different levels of plot advancement that are going on, and and then like the the big trick is to do that where it doesn't sound like characters sitting and talking to each other about like let's lay out a bunch of exposition. So I you know I I, I can't really say anything about it other than it's just it's something that I'm still really really figuring out issue by issue. Well, if anything, uh, and this is going to sound sacrilege because this is a DC centric podcast, but it feels very. 
uh, Claremontian from his X-Men days, um, and where you would see plot lines with a huge ensemble cast. It feels very much like that. It feels organic, nothing, you know, at least coming from me when I read it month to month, and as Brandon said, as I write the reviews each, uh, each time a new one comes out. So I'm really enjoying how you're weaving each and everything together. Claremontian? Yes. Really? <laughs> yes. You know, it's, I mean, I really appreciate it. Like, it's, you know, I grew up on, on Claremont X-Men, so, you know, to have that description applied to me is, it's really surreal. And, and like, I mean, I just, like, I cannot reiterate enough, you know, I've, I've done, I have six issues of comics to my name that's out at this point. Like, I've accomplished nothing. Like, I've, and I, I still am, like, basically an infant at, in this world. So, I mean, I, I really, like, I have a lot of gratitude for for fans and for everyone and how they've reacted to it. But, you know, for for me, I look at the issues that have come so far and and I feel like they're okay and, like, there's some things I really like in them, but there's a lot of things where it's, you know, I'm already looking back and, like, you know, I've, I've got to figure out how to do this stuff better. Um, it's, I, I just have two more questions before. Uh, it seems that coming out of Jeff Johns's run with what the Guardians had done, um, that the perception of the rest of the universe of the Green Lantern Corps isn't exactly on a lighter note. Um, is it going to be? Uh, are we going to see more of that? Where maybe the Corps, while they are, they aren't ruled by evil tyrant, many tyrants anymore, but the perception is that they're still these overbearing green-wearing thugs. Is that what we're going to see more of that in the coming months? Yeah, it's really, that's very key to what's coming up. And, um, like, Green Lantern 27 and Green Lantern Corps 27 are kind of a starting point for for some, some interesting, well, and I guess even, like, the 26s, but very overtly in the 27, we're going to be focusing on that. And, you know, it's kind of like a comparison that, that I've used a good bit is um, I used to be a crime reporter in the newspaper. So you know, this was in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. And like a lot of the, the work that I did there, you know, crimes would happen. And a lot of times I would end up, you know, in sort of a black uh, neighborhood or black part of town. And you know, the, the people who lived there were just incredibly distrustful of the white police force. And part of it was, you know, just a natural distrust. But then part of it was that there was a history of the white, you know, majority white police force doing really crappy things. So, you know, this it's like, how do you, as a police force, how do you police people who don't want you to be there? And... And that's kind of what the core is facing, that, like, they're trying to act as the, the cops of the universe, but the universe is like, <laughs> you guys have proved yourselves to be evil. Like, you, you keep screwing things up. You, you keep destroying planets. Like, why, why should we trust you? You know, why? And, I, you know, that, that came up in Green Lantern Corps 26, where we see that the Kund are are going around and, and essentially saying, like, forget the core, you know, we'll, we'll protect you and, and you don't have to worry about them. And uh, since you obviously speak of the Coon, we know about the Durlins. Um, was it intentional to use more villains that are not have tied to the emotional spectrum? 
obviously that was a heavy focus in the previous run, um, but it, was that intentional going forward, and will we see either old, non-ring-wielding uh, Green Lantern Corps enemies or new ones altogether? Yeah, will we see Evil Star? Uh, let's see. Are you uh, you willing to wait until January? Can wait till January. Oh hell yeah! Then yes, you will see Evil Star. Uh, uh, I'm so happy. The best, best Christmas ever. <laughs> yeah. He'll have he'll have a little bit of a new look to him, but uh, but yes, we'll see Evil Star. So yeah, no. It, it, to answer your question. Um, it was a very, a very direct choice, a very conscious choice. Um, just in that, you know, the the books have had a very strong focus on kind of light fights in in recent years, and so it it seemed like it was just a good time to do something different. And uh, you know, there's there's this giant universe out there with all kinds of different crazy things in it. And so part of this is really establishing, you know, these different space centric threats and kind of giving, giving a sense of, of what the universe is like and, um, you know, the different regions that are out there and the different races that are out there and, you know, all of like, I have this idea that, that I'm going to be bringing in, in a future issue that essentially like the criminal enterprise that has always existed in the shadow of the, the Green Lanterns, that like now that the Green Lanterns are weak, it's starting to, to kind of, you know, work in more overt ways. Um, so so we're, we're really just going to continue to like expand and explore the universe and, and meet a lot of threats, both, you know, like I said, new and old. Awesome. I look forward to it. That's all the questions I have. I look forward to what you have coming up in 2014. Cool. Thanks, Ben. All right. So uh, our last uh, panelist is uh, Eric. Eric, what questions do you have for Ben? Hey, Van. I just want to say I appreciate a lot of the stuff you're talking about, about expanding the universe and maybe kind of acknowledging that the Green Lanterns are, uh, you know, a group that could go out and do things besides fight other lanterns. Um, it reminds me a lot of the new Star Trek film, into darkness and a lot of people complain it kind of retread the same plot points as some of the other things but the argue, the argument is that you know you should get out and do some new stuff i mean i know you're dealing with the queen and the, the derlins and stuff and that's cool and i don't mean to say that's not cool you know but yeah i think we're all excited to get away from you know just the power rangers i guess they've been called a million times so that's pretty cool i do want to ask really quick about the um evil star costume uh redesign he's still gonna have a star in his face right like i don't think we can do evil star without a random star in his face um there's gonna be a star incorporated as long as star face i want a cheesy star face like looks like he made it out of cardboard just put it right on his face that's all I want. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a it's an interesting costume that's for sure and we aren't going to see them quite yet but but we'll we'll have some allusion to the uh, starlings as well. Is that a, a Bernard Chang design? Um, it actually Bernard did not do the redesign of Evil Star. Because I believe Evil Star Evil Star had a cameo. I think it was like right after Blackest Night or something like that. We got a glimpse of him. Um, <clears throat> it was kind of a really bad. It, it, was, it, was, it was before. It was before uh, Sinestro Corps War. It was pretty early in the run. No, only, no, only Frankie remembers it. It was after that because it was a retcon of what 
of him messing with the shark, I think it was. I'm not too sure, but we saw we saw a new design. Uh-huh. It's oh, it's been shark. It's been foreshadowed anyway. for years now. So this yeah. is this is a new new design. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Yay. Um I, I, I hate to ask about Sinestro because I'm not I, I definitely think we OD'd a little bit on Sinestro um in the I guess the decade or whatever that Jeff Johnson's writing it and stuff. But um, some of the other writers you've had on have said that there's some kind of sort of short-term plan for Sinestro. And since you did mention that Zarin Ignatu, she's obviously an active cast member. And you, there, hopefully, yes, there will be some acknowledgement that her planet was destroyed, et cetera, et cetera. But she is still Sinestro's daughter, and that's still going to come into play later? Yes and yes. Yeah, that's nice. Uh, anyway, I wanted to ask a lot about actually the Zero issue. Um, there's a bit at the, I, I suppose, it's interesting to me because uh, obviously you're going for a Katrina vibe, and that's cool. Um, uh, not that Katrina was cool, but, um, you know, uh, I like it, and I, I think it was interesting because I can kind of see that you were sort of straddling this kind of political edge, and um, at the end maybe it's sort of, I, I don't want to say it, it's hard to look at these kind of comics and um, the way they're presented as, like, political arguments, because you sort of straddle the line with neutrality, but then also kind of a rejection of that neutrality on John's part. I mean, he kind of, more or less kind of, you learn about how he was sort of radicalized as a child and how he kind of reacts as a Marine, you know, with remembrances of his radicalization or whatever, but still make a point to say, well, Anarchy was being a dick or whatever. But I'm curious, was that was that supposed to be the moment that, like, John quits the Marine Corps? Is this idea of him kind of embracing radicalized, not necessarily anarchist, but, like, you know, so much of a, a repressed kind of more more or less understanding, I guess, a criminal mindset in terms of a revolutionary force. Is this going to kind of play into who he is as a character later in the series? Because I think John has been, since he was kind of transformed this Marine retroactively, you know, he's been very kind of straight, narrow, very much like doing needs to be done sort of thing. Are we going to see more of a, um, it's kind of an elaborate question, more of a kind of like open-ended John when it comes to that sort of thing? Yeah, no, it's, it's a, a great question. Um, so I really approach that issue as, like, the, the framework of it is, because I think a lot of people expected, like, oh, we're going to see the moment that John gets his ring, and it seemed like a lot of people were disappointed that that wasn't what the issue was and that there's no Green Lantern ring in it at all, which, you know, I understand that, but it wasn't the issue that I set out to write. I really approach um, what what was it that made John Stewart someone that a Green Lantern ring would select? And so the you know the political aspect of it, it was something that I wanted to include and um, wanted to focus on, but not as I'm not really interested in in ever espousing politics and saying that like you know trying to use a comic to make a political point like that's just not not something I'm, I'm ever going to do, but it was more showing the, the complexities of there are all these different arguments and there are all these different approaches and, like, who is the bad guy in that story? I mean, anarchy is in a way, but the Marines also are in a way. And, and really, for John, it was about, you know, sort of understanding, like, the use of power and, and seeing... You know, when you have power and when you have control of a situation, what you do with it says a lot more about you than, than necessarily whether your ideas are the best. And, and so we saw that, like, both the Marines and Anarchy, 
they were kind of in a, a war of ideas, but they both were going about it in the wrong way by just trying to, to control people and to use force to do so. And, and so for John, it was this element of, you know, he had been on this career track with the Marines and trying to advance himself and then hitting this point of, of realizing that, you know, the, the principles that his mother raised him with ran counter to what he saw going on in the Marine Corps. And so that was the point that he, you know, ultimately rebelled against the Corps. And so it definitely, and I definitely do want to set him up as a character, and I think this is very true with his character historically, that, you know, he's a thinker, he's a philosopher, and, and he's, he's not just like a one-track guy, and he's not just a rule follower. He's a lot more complex than that. Yeah, and that's great, and I think, um, you know, something more along those lines, and as long as he's got that, I guess, hard-ass attitude, is that supposed to be the moment, I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter, but for continuity's sake, is that supposed to be the moment where he, that is the last moment of being the Marine Corps? I mean, at the end, he kind of talks to himself about, like, I guess that's it for my career. But, yeah, um, that's, yeah, that's essentially the point that he decides to walk away, and, you know, it. it's not necessarily the, like, because, you know, you, you don't just, like, up and leave the Marine Corps and go ahead. Right. You know, a wall. It's not that simple, but that that was essentially the beginning at the end for him. Right. Are we going to see more backstory from John? I think one of the things that um I think a lot of Greenlander fans like is um that John isn't necessarily someone you can kind of like label the way you can label all the other characters. I mean, my personal you know my Green Lantern is Kyle Rayner because he was Green Lantern when I was growing up. But, you know, it's kind of easy to pigeonhole the character. And as you said, Guy Gardner, you know, for most of his career has been pretty unreadable just because of, you know, again, how one note he is and, and even how, you know, essentially how it's like he's so unpredictable. He'll do exactly what you think he's going to do because what else can he do, you know? And John has always been the character a lot of people like because you can kind of plug him into stories and he doesn't exactly react the way that you think he did. And there's a little bit of backlash because he seemed to be on like some kind of murder spree in the last few years. But I think that had more to do with, like, the character isn't, as you said, so, you know, easy to define. And, uh, you know, it's appreciable that you can kind of pull them out of that and try to explain where that comes from. But are we going to get some kind of timeline? Of, I mean, are we going to see more flashbacks from his life? Because I do ask because I think, unless I'm mistaken, and this uh, it's been a while since I've gone back and read these issues, but John even being Marine wasn't necessarily something that was relevant or present in his continuity until, you know, it became popular to make him a Marine, I believe, from the cartoon. So um, even just him joining the Marines and things, are we going to see more of his history and uh, his life? And it, it, expanding on that, and I ask a lot of the writers this, is there an opportunity for you guys to kind of represent some big moments in continuity? Like these guys suggested that, you know, the actual explosion of Zanshi makes no real sense in a modern context, you know? And Mosaic, again, makes no real sense in a modern context of what we know about the Guardians and the Corps. Are, are you going to be able to retell some of those moments? maybe in the course of relevant story. I mean, I know you're not just going to stop and do like a secret origin for Jon Stewart, you know, but are we going to get, are we going to fill in some of the story that we've all kind of been wondering about his life? Yeah, I think, you know, you look for opportunities to fill stuff in where it works. There's a lot of story that's existing in the present that needs to be told. And so it's, it's definitely tough. And, you know, to take a, a whole month issue and dedicate it entirely to John's past was was something that, you know, we, we did very conscientiously and not, um, 
you know, not without a good amount of deliberation. So it's not as if I have parceled out, you know, we're going to, we're going to hit these beats and we're going to have these flashbacks every so on. Really, I, I don't like flashbacks in general just because um, I think it's a little bit of, you know, like an, an overt flashback can, unless it's structured in, in a very particular way, can be kind of weak storytelling. Um, you know, I, I'm not really, like, as far as, like, hitting, hitting these old or, like, retelling these old stories, right. um, you know, when, when Marvel did the Ultimate Universe, there were some really compelling things there, but I felt like, and this is like the early Ultimate Universe, it it hit a point where there was a lot of just like, we're going to retell this Marvel story, or we, we're going to reintroduce this existing Marvel Universe, but in an ultimate way. And it was it was almost like... The Greatest Hits album or something, yeah. Yeah, it just, it, it became very boring. It was like listening to an, an album of cover songs where it's like maybe one of them was interesting, but ultimately it just wasn't that creatively compelling. So I never, you know, with the new 52, like I never really want to get to a point of like, oh, we're just retelling an existing story, but putting our new 52 spin on it. Um, I'm a lot more focused on, and I think all of us are a lot more focused on where are we going with the books, and and especially with the characters. Right. I, I want to ask also about the idea of what you said, the autonomy of the books. Um, I know when the launch started, um, the actual Green Lantern book and Core, the book you're working on, uh, had a similar kind of relaunch attitude. I mean, it was about taking the established character and sticking with a new team, and, and how has this kind of benefit of you know, being the leader, so he's got his own kind of, like, empirical storylines he can do, and you've got the whole grunt thing, but where's, I mean, we're obviously in the middle of a kind of power struggle and establishment phase of the book, but what 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 is the autonomy going to be? I mean, is John going to kind of be a satellite group, or is, is your book going to be the kind of nitty-gritty of what, you know, the precincts are, uh, while Green Lantern is going to be more of, like, yeah, the politics. I mean, what kind of what kind of separation are we going to see between the two books in the future? Not that there isn't a, a difference, you know, but, I mean, like, what's going to what's gonna make... What's Core's goal in terms of being... Which kind of Green Lantern book is it going to be? Yeah, no, it's... Uh, <laughs> it's a, a great question, and um, those are deliberations that, that we've had and things that we've discussed, because... You know, it's we don't want it to be that Green Lantern and Green Lantern Corps are essentially the same book. It's just that Hal is the main character in one, and John is the main character in another one. And so there's there's not a lot that I can say without you know giving up pretty uh, major spoilers as to what's to come. But there's a lot of really, really big stuff in the next, you know, year. And it's stuff that's really going to dramatically reshape the books. And so I think it'll, once we, you know, over the course of that, they're going to change to be more and more different from each other. And then, you know, I I think coming out of it, they're going to be even, you know, pretty more dramatically different. And one of the things that um, always kind of bugged me about 
the Green Lantern Corps book in the past, and this is not to denigrate the other writers. I thought Tomasi did a great job on the book, um, the different iterations of it. But it wasn't just that the Guardians were kind of ultimately megalomaniacal and bloodthirsty and creating zombies that ate people. There was a lot of actions that the characters took in the books um, that were very questionable and um, things like uh, there's there's a storyline. I mean, obviously, John killing a fellow Lantern to protect the secret, you know, that that's almost sort of justifiable. But there's incidents of, like, you know, uh, the mass murder of the prisoners and in that same storyline where John kills a fellow Lantern, which a lot of people talk about, they seem to kind of ignore there's this whole sequence where Guy Gardner basically takes two of the captured Sinestro Corps members and which, like, uses them as unwilling suicide bombers to make a dent into their enemies and stuff like that. And this kind of idea that the members themselves are perpetrating crimes, not just that they accidentally followed these crazy guys. And I kind of sort of thought that there were some hints at that in, in some of the things that John Stewart had said, like, we're coming off as thugs. Not so much as, like, oh, we need to explain to these people that we were led by crazy people, so much as he's saying, well, no, we were completely, like, taken up in this kind of murderous cult ideology, which is really interesting. Him specifically, by the way. Him specifically? Yeah. John, oh, John. murderer. Yeah. Well, you know, like I said, I think, I think at least John's big issues were justifiable, but there was this kind of, like, Guy Gardner was on this, like, spree of, like, mass murder, and it was just, like, it was almost like John wasn't doing it, but he wasn't going, like, he wasn't saying, like, hey, dude, what the hell? Like, you know, it's like, it's like, all right, if I'm, if there's, if my friend shoots someone in the head of the room right next to me, I mean, I'm still a, a you know, a dick if I don't go and say, hey, don't shoot the guy in the head, you know. So there's this kind of, like, complacency in, in this, you know, basically fascist attitude the Green Lanterns had. And, um, like I said, I kind of, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I'm kind of reading into what John was saying as being like, yeah, we were kind of monsters. And I think, um, and I hate to call it out for this, but I feel like a lot of the establishing issues since this, I guess, mini relaunch has happened have been a kind of, like, recontextualizing a lot of the events of the last few years, you know, almost like wiping out a few of the other cores, et cetera, et cetera. It was this kind of acknowledgement of like, I think we've done a lot of this stuff to, not to death. Cause I don't want to denigrate the other writers, you know, but done a lot of this stuff and we've kind of gone too far and we need to scale it back. Not even just, as you said, like in terms of scale and like maybe not do so many damn Sinestro stories, but like, you know, just to get morally, like, you know, what are we, what do we actually do? Are we a military? Are we assassins? Are we police? I mean, is that something you're kind of getting at? Am I reading too much into it? Um, I would say you are reading an appropriate amount into it. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I think the other, like the previous stories, I think they were they were great, but I, I mean, that's just that's not the writer I am. Like, if somebody wanted a book that's super violent, that it just it ain't me. Um, I mean, I like I don't like gory movies. <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't like comics. Um, I, I don't like my preference is not to read comics that that have a lot of a lot of kind of just random violence and killing in them. And you know, I think I think if you look at at core since I took over, um, I mean. I, I'm trying to think. Has there only been? I think there's one character that's died. Ergan. Ergan. I think one of you. Yeah, and I think I think Fatality like murdered a Durlin or something. Oh yeah, Fatality murdered a Durlin. Yeah. Right. And so so like, you know, both of those like okay, so you know, six six issues, two characters have 
have died. Actually, no, someone else died in the Blood Bowl on, on 26. Okay, my body count is rising. But anyway, the point that I want to get to is, like, it's not, like, I don't, I don't ever want to have just, like, anyone killing anyone willy-nilly in a story. Like, there has to be some, some purpose to it. And, you know, I've, I've shown one Green Lantern dying, and I at least tried to make it something that, you know, as silly as it is to say it, like, there was some commentary about the nature of death and dying and aging in that moment. So I wanted it to have emotional resonance because, you know, I don't know, like I was saying, I was a crime reporter for all those years, and, I mean, I, I've seen a lot of dead bodies. I've seen a lot of people who've been shot and killed or stabbed to death or died in a you know, car crash or whatever. And, I mean, it just, like, it's not something that you approach lightly, um, at least to me. Like, I just, I don't, I don't have that in me. So, you know, I think, I think, like, story-wise, what we're doing is, it's exactly that, like, the core got itself to a place where it, it didn't have the moral high ground. And, like, how, how do you argue to the universe that you're heroes when, when you're doing these kinds of things, when, when there's all this evidence of you acting in a way that it's very easy to, to construe as being unheroic? And, and so the way that we're framing it is that before the core can really, you know, regain their standing, they have to, to regain that moral high ground. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say there's a, a pointed bit I really noticed in, um, I guess, I think it was issue 25, it was still during the Relic storyline, where, um, oh, it was being destroyed, and they, you know, I mean, it was your book, so maybe this was something that editorial kind of, like, said, hey, we got to mention, or you guys, the writer said, you're going to mention, but the bit where it was being destroyed, and somebody actually calls, you know, the prison guard, and he's like, what am I supposed to do, and Hal's basically, just set him all free, like, we're not going to let him die, you know, and it seemed weird to me, because almost, I mean, obviously, I agree with that sentiment, and what are you going to do, you got to just set him free, um, but it seemed weird to me, because I feel like in, you know, uh, in some of the previous writers, they would have just said, F him, and let him blow up, you know, <laughs> like, you would have had Guy Gardner throwing him in the finger or something, and everybody laughing as they kind of rode away on bikes. <laughs> I and probably would have been one of those people, by the way. You? Yeah. Yeah, well, that's, yeah. Well, Candaro never did nothing to nobody. But, um, you know, yeah, I mean, was that a conscious effort? I mean, was that scene just kind of like, oh, yeah, shit, we got prisoners on here? <laughs> like, you know. No, it, like, honestly, the way that came about was initially, and, like, the, sort of the layout of the Citadel and of Oa was always kind of confusing. I thought that the prison was inside the Citadel, like, way underground, and so that was the assumption that I was under. And so the first draft of the script actually didn't have the bit with the prisoners because I just assumed that they were safe. Yeah, they were and then when we were talking about, they're like, you know, the prison is not on the Citadel. And I was like, oh, well, crap, we gotta, we got to get those guys off world. So that was kind of how it came about. But no, it, I mean, you know, it, like that, it, it doesn't seem like something that Hal or John or any any of them would do to, you know, as far as I look at it, just like, yeah, let them die. Can you get Bernard to to design, I mean, it's probably irrelevant now that they're on, oh, I mean, on Mogo, but can you get them to, like, have big 
I don't know, one of those fold-out splash pages that Jeff Johnson's been using recently to design uh, the new OA headquarters, or the Greenlander headquarters, rather. Because I, I just, I feel like I need to see where people eat, where they sleep, well, that, how that yeah, thing that's works. That's what I'm going to get into, right, because, right, because uh, I do want to really quick about the prisoners before I forget. Um, is there going to be, I mean, as you said, like, they kind of, you know, I, it, depending on what the continuity is, but there's either legitimacy or complete illegitimacy to the Guardians and the Greenlanders just essentially saying we're the police. I mean, um, what kind of organized authority do they really have, you know, uh, especially with the way they are now? But are they even really allowed to have prisoners? I mean, who are they, you know, essentially they're just kind of kidnapping them. You think that, like, you know, as a people, you know, that, that are probably like, you know, hey, this is our political expatriate and stuff. I mean, is that going to come into play, like, exactly what they can do with people they capture? Yeah, I always thought, I always thought it was because the Guardians were just so ancient, they had, they had claimed, like, they were the first government. I just assumed, I assumed they had political treaties and stuff. Essentially, they're a police force that's free which, and, and relatively benevolent, so I would assume that these, you know, it's like the UN sort of, the, you know, essentially the UN, but with, like, unlimited, you know, military. So I, everybody would really jump at that chance that there was a benevolent, magical UN army and stuff. But, I mean, in recent years, obviously, you know, after they, you know, set loose at least six or seven zombie plagues to destroy the universe, <laughs> I think everybody would fire them, too. Oh, those yeah, precocious no, stamps. I mean, that's a, a very, like, accurate assessment of it, that they're, um, you know, with the Guardians gone, like, all of the authority, all of the structure, all of the organization, the things that they were keeping in place and the things that were working just because the Guardians were there, like, that stuff falls apart. So there's going to be, I mean, there's still some very big, like, immediate threats, but, you know, going forward, as the Corps continues the effort to rebuild, those questions are questions that are going to be asked. Cool. All right. And uh, get, getting sort of back to what Brandon was saying, not so much, I'm not really as concerned with the aesthetics of the design as he is, but that would be cool. Because um, uh, I feel like every single time Batman gets a new Batmobile in three months, we have to have like a double splash page poster. But like, I asked, again, I asked the every writer, uh, are we going to see some kind of li like literal explanation of, of what, how the Guardians manage to be Guardians, I mean Guardians, Green Lanterns manage to be Guardians all the, uh, on, at work all the time? I mean, if it's a volunteer position and they don't get paid for it, you know, how do they stay on duty? Do they have jobs? I mean, how do they eat? You know, uh, uh, how do they sleep? Were there other businesses on OA that are now completely out of luck because of the destruction, et cetera, et cetera? I mean, all, all of that stuff is is going to be explained coming up. That's it's awesome. very, because like Rob and I are just, we're very logic-based writers. So like all of those questions that come up as you start to think about it are questions that we have thought about as we've been planning it. And we've come up with some really interesting answers that fit very perfectly into this kind of next big story that's coming up. That's great. Yeah, I think because we, talked, we talked about it with several other writers and, and creative types on the show, and a lot of them, their argument is like, you know, you don't always want to see how the bread is buttered. Is it really that interesting and stuff? And my argument is always like, I feel like, especially if you want to expand an audience, I think that stuff is almost the most interesting. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I look at Green Lantern Corps as almost like the, the remake of Battlestar Galactica. Exactly, yeah. yeah. That's, that's kind of the way that I, like, I mentally frame it. Yeah, yeah like... showing your nerd hand right No, now. but for real, it's like, it's like Battlestar Galactica wasn't... I mean, it was great because it had space battles and robots and stuff like that, but what was interesting about it when it was interesting was, you know, how do you have a Congress when, you know, there's only 116 people and, like, 
where do you get food if you're floating around in you know a vacuum et cetera, et cetera, and stuff and you know and there was that whole one you know everybody makes fun of it but that pretty decent episode in terms of politically the black market where they basically they realized they had a black market and the show had a problem defining what the hell is a black market if you don't have a federal regulation then everything's a black market you know and that kind of thing like so how does the green lantern core function if it doesn't have an official body governing it yeah it's I, that's that's fascinating to me. I don't know, um, but I mean, yeah, there's plenty of people to punch, Brandon. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> Getting back I, to um, the design of the the new city on Mogo, um, you know, Bernard is actually an architect by training, and so he like what you saw in the issue is this tiny fraction of the work that he did in planning that out, and we're we actually just had a conversation today about figuring out a place to run some of it. Like he did like literal architectural renderings of this city. So there's like three dimensional renderings of it. And we really want to find, like I've been lobbying to find a place to share those. Cause it's just, it's so, so cool just to see the, the process of it. Well, you can share it at the Green Lantern Corps site if you want. You know, <laughs> just I mean, it sounds like a perfect fit, right? Yeah, it sounds perfect. <laughs> Andrew, you wouldn't have a problem with that, would you? I think you could always make the argument that um, if you present that as some, even it's like, oh, do, do people even want to read this? If you present it, people are going to think it's something they are going to want to read, you know? And I think, I used to love that when you, you know, the old Stan Lee comics when he just like, I have two pages to fill, let's just draw a picture of Spider-Man's apartment but x-rayed. Like, like you think, like, do I really care what Spider-Man's apartment's laid out like? But then when you see it, you're like, oh yeah, I actually really care what Spider-Man's apartment looks like, so... I think it's a great. I mean, especially you know, bring it back. I mean, it's the kind of thing we haven't seen in comics in a long time. I think it'd be really cool. Any, any, anything you could say about maybe the the a new the new uh, opponents they're going to be facing in the next couple of months and stuff. What we look forward to is maybe new characters and stuff. I mean, not that I don't like Evil Star. I mean, nobody likes Evil Star as much as Frankie. But I mean, like, uh, um, I don't think Evil Star would even still be around if Frankie wasn't the only. I think Frankie's the only one who remembers him. But um, but anything you could see for new bad guys coming up. Yeah, um, so the immediate focus that we're, we're going to kind of see is the continued, you know, rise of, of the Durlins and um, the Kund as threats. And really the way that we're framing it is kind of reintroducing them and showing that they're a little different than, than what the, you know, the historical concept of them is. So I think that there's enough of a freshness there that it's it's going to feel like kind of discovering a new a new thing, you know, farther along um, because you know, we do have quite a bit of, of story planned out. There are some very new threats that are going to be coming up, um, but those are there's there's one story that. Um, you know, a little bit farther down the road, I'm planning to tell that involves a very, very big, totally new threat. Um, but it's far enough out that I can't even, you know, it'd be pointless to even start talking about it. Quick question. Uh, Larfleeze, uh, Scott Collins, Keith Giffen. The book isn't doing so well with the sales. Is there any plans to be a little more interactive with that series? You know, the, the concept of that from the get-go was for Larfleys to be a, um, you know, a, a more comedic book, which is 
of course, you know, Keith is, is a legend in comics for that kind of writing. And, and that was really, you know, that was what he wanted to do with the book. And, and I, I have never really had any conversations or involvement with it, but my, um, the understanding I have is that, you know, Keith wanted to do very much a standalone book. Um, so I don't know if there's no immediate crossover, you know, stuff planned that, that I know of. Um, that's not to say that it, you know, won't happen, but I mean, I think the work that Keith is doing is so kind of singular that it might not even make sense to, to bring it in and, and connect it to the other books. Right. Like Mon- Monty Python all of a sudden in Hell Street Blues. Yeah, no, it's... A, what a random thing to say. Like, tone, tone really matters in comics, and you kind of... If you have, like, an inconsistent tone or something that's a little bit over all over the place, like, you can really lose your way pretty quickly. And, and Keith, I mean, he just, he really, like, he's the best at that kind of comic, for sure. Um, I, I don't want to step on Eric's toes here, but, uh, no. good. No um, Bernard Chang, um, getting back to him, um, I know you guys said you, you're under the gun, and I know he got a little bit of a break, uh, recently, uh, but is there, uh, is there any chance he might miss an issue or two going forward? Um, I know Brad Walker got a, a little bit of a fill-in this week with, uh, New Guardians 26. Um, is Bernard doing all right as far as time? Yeah, yeah. We've gotten to a point of being being a little farther ahead on things. And, you know, he... I mean, Bernard pencils and inks his own stuff, so, you know, let alone for an artist to do that on a monthly schedule is really impressive. And he's just... He really is, you know, a consummate pro. Um, so, yeah, he... Um, He's looking like he's all on track. We had um, issue 27, Sean Chen contributed a few pages to to help out. But, um, you know, the plan is that, like, Bernard really wants to be doing, you know, every issue all year. And, and, I mean, I certainly would not trade Bernard for any other artist in the world. Why would you? I think that's it for me. Um, yeah, I'm... I think I'm all set. Yeah, I mean, we've held a good book. Just uh, keep it up, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, I I really appreciate it, guys. You know, like I said, Green Lantern fans are are just so passionate and so knowledgeable, and it um, we all know that we have a lot of a lot of pressure on us because you guys are keeping us honest. (laughs) So is that? Are we gonna ask you personal? Is that like it? Is it annoying when you meet? I mean, because I I mean I know some Green Lantern fans, obviously, and it's like. You know, there is a certain, I mean, every fan base has its minutia, but, I mean, Green Lantern fans have some minutia minutia. Is, <laughs> is there a kind of, like, is there, like, an inundation of just these, like, kind of particular questions? You know what I mean? And I don't mean to make fun because I have that about certain things, you know, I mean, but, I mean, is that, like, I mean, not to, not to not that you want to badmouth people listening to it, whatever, but, I mean, is there a kind of, like, <laughs> threshold for, like, could you guys just leave me alone about this stuff, you know? No, like, honestly, I mean... I don't know, you know, my personality, I'm just, I'm a guy who grew up in a town of 300 people, and, like, I grew up on a farm, so, like, I could not have a more unassuming background, right? And and now, I, I get to write stuff that all of a sudden, like, 
you know, thousands of people read and are interested in and then like approach me online and ask me questions about stuff. And, and it's still, it, it just feels like a huge privilege to be able to do that and to be in that position. And it's just, it's kind of, it, like I still, and I hope I never get to the point where I, I, you know, overlook that aspect of it, but it's, it's a really cool thing, and I, I feel very honored to have that opportunity. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Uh, well, but yeah, I mean, seeing, yeah. seeing, seeing that we're like you know wrapping everything up, um, I do want to ask one one thing for you. Uh, in in all of Greenland, like you know, history and all uh, everything, like moving forward, if there's anything that you particularly want to put into the book, like, you know, outside of what you're putting in now, like, that if you had no restrictions, no editorial mandates, nothing that's, you know, like, holding you back, the one thing you want to put into this book, what would it be? You know, I, I got to write a, um, an inventory issue when I was just starting out because the editors wanted me to, you know, get a little bit more experience and then they, they needed someone to write a fill-in issue. And um, so honestly, it's like, I think it's only because I wrote this issue that I would love for it to see the light of day at some point. But anyway, it's a standalone issue with uh, Rotlop Fan. Huh? And, um, wow. Yay. <laughs> and I'm, I'm actually really proud of the issue. So that's like... Uh. I kind of like I got to I got to scratch that itch, but like now I would love for for it to actually come out at some point. So I don't know, maybe like twenty years from now, and you know, it's <laughs> hidden hidden away somewhere, and I can at least like share the script online. But you never know. Yeah, maybe DC will do one of those eighty-page specials they did a couple years ago. Be pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. When they're really when they're really coming through the drags, that's when they'll pull. The <laughs> Maybe just, like, next time, you, if you guys have a Green Lantern Summit, just, like, you know, offer to be the carpooler and just have your car break down and nobody can get to the drawing boards for three weeks. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, I, yeah, we'll see. I'm going to have to, like, poison Rob or something. Yeah. Hey, hey uh, Brandon wants to know if you can if you can be your, his, your plus one to San Diego and if you can sleep under your bed and make funny noises at night. I think uh, Brandon would rather be Bernard Chang's plus one if I'm following his, his dialogue. Either way, either way is fine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I hear so much about these DC parties at San Diego, and I'm always at the wrong bar at the wrong time. You know, I, I can have drinks next to Jeff Lemire, but not with Jeff Lemire. And I feel like I'm, a, I'm so much of an alcoholic that you probably need me at these parties. Right, it's <laughs> weeks, man. Just different wigs per bar. It works for me every time. Ciroc, Ciroc. I'll, uh, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> I'm sure your wife wouldn't mind. I'm sure she hates comic conventions. And yeah. She went to one for like two minutes and then left. She's... <laughs> I'm, I'm right there, man. I'm here for you. All right. Yeah. You, you know, um, it's fine. I think it'd be your new wife. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not take this too far, guys. Uh, it, the funny thing about comics, like, with San Diego, you know, it's like last year I was there with DC, and so it's kind of a brave new world because Warner Brothers and all that stuff 
And so, like, I was getting, like, I got to go to the Warner Brothers party, and I'm bumping into, like, Samuel L. Jackson and the guy that played Superman and Kevin Bacon and, you know, whoever else. And um, it's it's just, it's a weird, it's a weird thing to, to be in there and, like, I don't know, I kind of, I know that, like, I'm just a spectator and I'm, it's like, I'm not like these people. Like, I'm not one of the celebrities. So, I, and I think most people in comics, you know, it's like you talk about Jeff Lemire. Like, Jeff's just a funny, down-to-earth guy, and that's how most of us are. We're just, we're regular people who happen to write comics. I'm going to take that as a yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh. you know, I, um, I always do... I feel like I always do sign up for my wife to come to San Diego with me, and she never does. So, you know, I very well might have a pass floating around. If there's a pass that says Mrs. Van Jensen, I'll take that bullet, man. (laughs) Right now, Brandon is printing up a fake ID that actually (laughs) (laughs) You know, I gotta say, guys, maybe it's just because we stayed on long enough, but I'm glad that it went to this weird of a place. It's a magical place that only happens at 10 o'clock at night. We love to keep everybody, you know, comfortable, awkward. That's how we become friends. Uncomfortable, I think is what he meant to say, yeah. We do have an odd tradition of, of proposing to Green Lantern talent if we really like them and stuff, so it's not it's not that weird. <laughs> Doug Monty yeah, knows like very a, well. We did have, like, a, I think we had, like, a, at least two or three six-hour interviews with Doug Monkey where, um... I think we're commonly uh, married by this point. Yeah, I don't think... Doug Monkey was not sober by the end of... Well, at least two of them and stuff, yeah. And there was some, there was a little bit of love notes and footsie involved. No, I won't say it didn't happen. <laughs> but yeah, cool, cool. Yeah. Oh, I guess I'm glad that it wasn't a video chat. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All yeah, right, guys. Yeah. Well, I uh, I should get back to work. Honestly, I've got a got a script to to hammer out. But I really appreciate y'all taking the time and reading the books and and you know taking the forums and spreading the word. Yes. So thank you for you know, having a, such great work for us to read, and you know every every month. And I'm, we're really looking forward to seeing uh, what's what's to come. And with all these hints and vague impressions that you've been giving, now we're we're you know all excited to see what's going to happen in the near future. And I'm especially excited to see Evil Star. So uh, that's, that's that's I'm I'm taking this. I'm gonna be sleeping well tonight. <laughs>